0: And just like that, back for another episode of the Same Shade of Difference podcast, probably not the McSee Wonders podcast, because uh, graphic designers have let me down again, but I do have a super... Uh, exciting surprise! For two episodes in a row, my former co-host is back as my co-host for the same shade of difference. I,
1: I was actually going to ask when you did the intro there if, like, where where the rebrand was, and I had a feeling it was in uh, graphic design hell. Um, so bummer, bummer to hear that that's still going nowhere fast.
0: It was due in March. <laughs> And then I got an email uh, on April 12th that said, I'm going to start on it tomorrow. I'll send you stuff. And yesterday, I had a full day of contractors in my house. And so I'm like, well, I should follow up on this just, just for the entertainment value. And so I replied to that email and said, uh, on, on May 12th, just for those of you keeping score at home, and said, hey, any, any update on my Logo, and uh, I just checked email. I don't have any crickets, update on my logo. So, yeah.
1: uh, if, if nothing else, hopefully uh, my audio is better in, in this one than the, the last one and I guess the last Craft Brew Geek podcast. Uh, we, we think we've narrowed it down to a, a hardware issue. But I, I feel like making my return to podcasting, we're really – Doing the fans a disservice by not letting them hear hear the pipes in all their uh, svelte glory, I guess.
0: You, you know, and and I didn't I didn't realize <laughs> how committed you were to part time podcasting until you texted me and said, "Oh man, my audio sounded like garbage. My plosives were all over the place," and I'm like.
1: You know, the dude I, doesn't listen to podcasts, uh, no, but he I, listened to our podcast. I, I listened to it because I was, I was curious how, how the audio turned out. And I was glad I did because I heard how terrible <laughs> it was at the time. So hopefully uh, those this problems will be sorted out now.
0: So we have a guest today, uh, Alex Cortalesi, who who is a uh, friend of ours, but uh, a... Um, A nomad, in my mind, a world traveler, a guy that likes to uh, learn stuff, explore the world. So welcome, Alex.
2: Thank you. I was getting excited. You were working up your co-host over there, and I was like, wow, that is a really, really nice introduction. Um, It wasn't for me. (laughs) (laughs)
0: But to but cho- you're gonna you're do chopped, most. You're
2: chopped liver, yeah, bit, Alex. I am. <laughs> you, you know,
0: John and I did like thirty something of these, and That's then true. Uh, and then he went on assignments. So uh, he's he's only back part time. Like uh, but. But I'll take part time. Uh, okay. I'll take I'll take that voice part time. he's earned
2: that hand job that you gave him earlier. <laughs> Absolutely, and there
0: we go. We have the explicit tag just oh like boy. that. Oh boy! we you really, know, we're, really uh, fucked it up now, boy. Was oh, that too soon? We're, we're three minutes in. I, I like to have fifteen or twenty minutes in before somebody drops an F bomb. But fuck you know, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's all good. It's all good. This clearly, this episode is not going to get me a. Uh, podcasting job de- now on Spotify. De- demonetized. Or, or okay. so. <laughs> oh, uh, man.
2: Well, I've got a flight of Imperial Stouts in front of me, so... Um, yep. Wait, so, Show's so, on.
1: So, Mark, with, with our good friend Alex having a flight of Imperial Stouts in front of him, where where are we recording at today? So, we are at the
0: Braxton Barrel House, which is John's home away from home.
1: It, it is. If, if I came here anymore, they would charge me rent.
0: And, and I... At times, and fairly frequent, and and it's a super cool place. And uh, how are those stouts, Alex?
2: They're hitting me just right. (laughs) They're pretty tasty.
0: So uh, John and I went to the main Braxton uh, house for uh, um, the Dark Charge weekend. So if we record a Craft Brew Geek episode, we'll talk a little bit more about that and uh, lots of interesting stuff. But today we're here to talk about... uh, Uh, travel so um talk us through so so you we we work together but prior to us working and and in fact your interview you were in new zealand on a uh, sabbatical from uh, being employed uh you didn't have a job you weren't on sabbatical from a company you didn't have a job right correct and uh so you saved up your money and you decided to travel the world. So, kind of, kind of walk us through, and John and I will uh, ask questions along the way, or just say we're jealous or, or whatever whatever comes up.
2: Absolutely. So, it definitely I found it to be a, a somewhat unique topic um, here in America, but overseas it is slightly less interesting. Um, in in my travels, I did find that. Um, I frequently just came across people. Um, I would say Germany and France and England were the best represented countries as far as just finding people that are from those nations in far-flung places. And um, it's somewhat normal and encouraged for people to take extended stints off. You know, oftentimes it's in your younger years, you know, after or before college to just take a year, six months, and go get a job in Peru or just go do something unique. And uh, even I believe it was Belgium that, speaking to a couple of folks that I think were in their 40s, their federal laws actually have a provision for them to leave their job and their, their employer is required to hire a temp until their return for up to, like, one to two years and they can just go and travel and return to their previous employment with no consequence whatsoever.
0: And, and even some of those countries you mentioned, uh, I know France for sure, um, they they really invest in in their employees in that they have long periods of time off available just as part of your employment. So, so you- Four you can, weeks
2: is, is standard everywhere yeah. else in the developed world.
0: Yeah, in United States, you're lucky to get uh, ten days. Yeah,
2: I don't even think we have a federal mandate for paid time off. which we do, is We um, do not. Yeah. What all these other countries have, and it's generally four, and I think some even go up to five or six weeks. Yeah. And that's not including your holidays. Yet. Right, and that's not the sabbatical
0: you were talking about. That's just that's just no. your regular time off. But it, it it would allow anybody to travel.
2: And I, I could imagine having a different. Perspective of not even having been motivated to break out of the rat race had I had more provisions for time off and just more freedom to enjoy life. Right, because I know somebody I follow online. I I don't. It's either
1: Sweden or Germany. I don't remember which of the two they live in. Uh, But along with you know, in relatively to here, insane amount of like vacation time. There's also like a, a a law that. They have to take a certain chunk of it, uh, like consecutively. It's like at some point in the year, you're required to take like two weeks off, as opposed to just like breaking it up piecemeal. Like you, you need to do a, a big kind of leave to recharge, which I think is yeah, I've read that. awesome, I, and I'm very jealous.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure where that is, but I've read that as well, and and that that kind of forces that uh, that mental health break.
1: Right, right, yeah. Even even if you think like oh, I don't need it or whatnot, like or I'm too busy, it's makes a big difference to uh, a lot of times you don't know
2: you need it until you realize it once you're getting what you need
0: i feel like i'd still be working if 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 somebody had helped me uh and and i'm a i'm a old mature adult i could help myself but i think you feel pressure not to take off in in many roles in many companies and i felt that pressure and uh i think i think people would be healthier mentally in the United States if we had uh, a better outlook on on time off. some
2: corporate cultures definitely push that badge of honor for putting in those 70-hour weeks and not taking any time off and I I never bought into that
0: yeah yeah
2: not not in the least especially because at least in in kind of my experience
1: as well even if you're You know, you're you're doing that. I've, it's been three years since I took any real time off that wasn't a holiday or or whatnot. And okay, you're putting in the 70 hour weeks, but are you as productive as you would be if you took like a month off and then came back and you were, you know, actually like recharged and much more engaged as opposed to, you know, you're kind of on the grind just because you feel like you got to be on the grind.
0: Yeah. And as a card carrying workaholic myself, I I feel like, um, I probably missed the boat there and i think recharging would have helped my uh productivity throughout my career
1: yeah and that's that's kind of why i bring it up because i'm i'm similar to you I'm, i'm very guilty of probably not taking off nearly as much time as i should but i periodically kind of have that realization like i haven't taken any vacation in six months it's been holidays here and there and that's really it um, that even though I might not feel like uh, I'm, I'm really like burning out, I need to take some time, if I force myself to do it, kind of like Alex was saying, then I come back and I'm like, oh man, I am, I'm so much better off than I was. And I didn't realize where I was, especially because a lot of my hobbies are not that dissimilar to what I do professionally, about uh, taking time off and literally like a, I, I took just like a week and a half last year and I, I didn't let myself use my personal laptop for the entire duration of that time, even though that would be like normally what I spend a lot of my time doing, but it really helped me, I think, when I when I came back. It was good. So so walk us through you you were at a,
0: a big corporate IT job and how long did it take you to kinda get geared up and develop your your plan and, and was there anything in particular that that drove you to this? Were you stressed out at work or or were you just wanting to travel the world or a, a, a combination of multiple factors?
2: It was definitely a combination of multiple factors. Um, in my mid-30s, kind of reflecting on my life, there wasn't, you know, if you were to write an autobiography, uh, or if I was to, um, it wouldn't have been all that interesting. Um so that was definitely a part of it um some of it was career burnout kind of feeling the rat race and uh, and really just lamenting that like i feel like i was um putting in a solid effort at that rat race but i was still running the rat race um, and i was just finding a lack of fulfillment in general in life there um so it all kind of started um I think I saw some hashtag van life things going on on the internet and I was like, Well, that's an interesting way like I've always had an adventurous spirit and like just going down a uh random road and seeing what's at the end of it um how How long roughly were you at that role
1: in the the midst of the rat race as it were
2: yeah i i had um I had done about twelve years in corporate i t to that point, uh, my first um, real job at the age of 23 and to the point where I quit my position was when I turned 35. Wow. Um, and between those, the only two jobs I worked in that span, I don't think I ever took more than like 10 days off consecutively. Mm-hmm. Um. And so I just, I don't know, I felt like there was a little bit something more that my life story needed to have in it and uh, just kind of formulated the plan. I've, I've always been kind of a saver. So um, even early on, I was just generally spending less than I earned. So slowly saving up money and realizing, you know, if I really wanted to, I wouldn't have to work for a little bit and I'd be okay. And it would probably be worth it. Good to you.
0: So, so how did you how did you pick what you wanted to do or did you have a plan or, or did you just kind of uh, say these generally are the places I'd like to go and just kind of rattle around uh, across the world?
2: Yeah, so I started kind of fantasizing about the van life and just the sense of freedom that that would give me. Um, but and I, think, I, and I think the van life shit is cool. Um, but
0: more for somebody of your age than, than my age, just from from sleeping in a, uh, a, a non optimal uh, sort of. Uh, have you seen some of these vans? I have, so I follow all the. <laughs> I, I'm a wannabe van lifer that's like, I'm probably not going to get there because of my age, but some of the stuff's cool. And and uh, so you're people, building
2: obstacles for yourself, Mark. As you say, not, not,
0: not with that attitude, <laughs> True, not. not with that attitude. <laughs> So well, I did buy this vehicle to sleep in that, that that you have seen. So, so I hope to do some fly fishing trips and sleep in it.
2: I mean, a good foam mattress is all it takes to make it feel comfortable. So, just the right the right gear makes a whole world of difference.
0: So, so you have? Uh, did you have? You had a Forerunner then when when you were thinking about?
2: I that did it, sort of and I activity? thought I would. I would get a larger van and I was never really made it down the path where I was committed to buying this specific model of van and doing this to it. I, I think that was just the, um, the idea starting to take hold and I kind of transitioned because in a van I would be seeing generally the Americas, like obviously you can put it on a freighter and have it shipped overseas if I were to have kitted out a van, but Sure the logical thing to do would have been to explore, you know, North America and Central America and potentially South America. But I kind of looked at it ironically and said, you know, this could be something I could come back to later in life. Um, I'm young now. So how about throwing everything I need on my back and, uh, getting on a plane? So, uh,
0: where was the, where did you go first?
2: so the first stop was africa and the trip really um was set with just some some continents essentially three months in africa three months in europe three months in asia and then three months sort of between the pacific australia and new zealand Um, so the trip was intended to be about a year Um, but then COVID hit and kind of extended things and it honestly worked out beautifully so
0: so how did did you do research before you you headed to the continents and and what did that research look like to you i know you're a you're a tech guy but you're also not a social media person to my knowledge so so to me van life to me probably looks different than van life to you in terms of how we see what people are doing
2: yeah, there's definitely that um, that lens of social media that just makes it look glorious and beautiful, um, and to an extent, like that is a real part of the reality, but it is only part of that reality. Um, so let's see. So the trip started in Africa and kind of had an anchor point to to really make it go. Um, I traveled with my ex girlfriend and. Um, not an ex-girlfriend at that time, but she was engaged in a animal conservation project in Rwanda, and we spent a month in Rwanda, and okay. she was able to work with the, uh, the team there that's working to um, protect an endangered bird species uh, and really commit herself to the objectives that she had there as a veterinary technician, um, bringing her skills and training, which... the the same quality of skills and training aren't available in Rwanda. Like A veterinarian trained in Rwanda is probably not going to thrive in a first world country, just on the merits of their professional skills. Um, So she was able to bring a lot in addition to just supplies like packing a suitcase full of um, even things that are just basic here in America are like gold in some of these countries. So started in rwanda and spent a month there and it was really it was good because it gave me time to acclimate to my new reality which was um, when you go on a vacation it has an end and you can see it and you're aware of it and having quit my job you know i've, I've quit like i've turned and notice i have they have no commitment to rehire me whatsoever um, There, I remember a day specifically where we were out at a national park and we were like setting up a sort of snare trap to capture these birds so we could put transmitters on them. And, uh, we set the trap and we're just going to wait out the day for the birds to just meander through this area that we've, that we've set these little wire traps that'll, um, that'll snag their feet. So then we, we then run out and like catch the birds and, um, restrain them and then put like a hood over their eyes so they stop freaking out and then so, we put So wait, waiting
0: the out the day is completely different than, than doing deadline driven it. work. That was,
2: that was my moment where we had set the trap. We're all just sitting under a cupboard, um, just like a covered, almost pavilion kind of area in this little camp that's there for the Rangers of this park. And, um, I'm just so used to having something to do. And here I am just sitting there with absolutely nothing to do and I'm just like I guess I'll take a nap. <laughs> and that was when the reality of it hit me that my my state of living was was just going to be different for a while. Was was this your
1: first like time traveling internationally as well? Had you been out of the country much before no. that or
2: I had actually been to Africa three or four years prior um, basically due to my girlfriend at the time being involved in the same project right. and I just decided to go with her and uh, while we're over there we'll, we'll work on her project for a week and then we'll go and we'll do a safari in Tanzania mm-hmm. and then we went to Zanzibar which is a beautiful tropical little island and kind of got off the grid for a few days
0: Cool. So, um, I don't. I, I know we've talked and, and you, you have ridden motorcycles, but I sort of got some of my wanderlust from uh, uh, Long Way Round, Long Way Down. And, and Long Way Down was super cool because it was mostly Africa. Some of it was on the way to Africa uh, through Morocco and some other places. Um, and uh, Germany, they went to... Motoguzi, I think, which, is that in Germany or in Belgium or someplace? Anyway, um, I found most fascinating, Long Way Round was cool and some of the Soviet stuff, but Long Way Down, the African people across all of the the countries within Africa, the communities, uh, even some that were maybe still a little war-torn or, or kind of had uh, mercenary sort of uh, military troops as, as part of the local authority, the people were were very welcoming. So was that your experience, uh, your travels in Africa, about how, how much they embraced you as a, as a traveler?
2: I'll even expand that to speak about my experiences with people in general. I found that the people living in the countries that generally had the worst reputation and those reputations were usually established by those countries' leaders or dictators uh, often had the friendliest people when it actually came into walking into a village. And I I think to an extent those people are aware of what the world thinks of them. And um, I don't know, I'm a pretty positive person and I, I tend to believe that um, good prevails over evil just in about every sense of life and people are good i i they're welcoming and i think even more so in the parts of the world that we look at as being impoverished and i i like to qualify poverty now as material poverty because i think there are other types of poverty frankly which we have in america which aren't maybe material but um and
0: and maybe more damning to our society than the material poverty in some other parts of the world. Absolutely,
2: you know? absolutely. Um, the sense of community that you get in places that suffer from material poverty is a lot stronger than what you feel in the average, you know, American suburb. So, yeah, um, people that don't even know the names of their neighbors here in suburbia, and you know, in rural communities in Africa, people absolutely rely on each other. Um, there's, there's no blood. It's just unspoken that you look after the people in your community. And, uh, I don't know when you really see it firsthand, it's kind of, uh, kind of eye opening.
0: We could learn a lot if we were interested in learning. That's what mm-hmm. you're saying. <laughs> so, um, so after you left there, what, where, where was the next stop, and was there any particular reason?
2: Um, three months in Africa, and um, after that first month in Rwanda, I then rented a small 4x4 pickup truck, and we drove around in South Africa, Namibia, and Botswana for two months. Um, after that, we went to England which um, is where my partner's family was. She has uh, part of her, her dad is an English uh, immigrant and has all of his family in England. So we stopped and spent a week visiting them. And it was a nice, uh, it was a very nice recharge, definitely. So, so up to
0: uh, visiting her family in, in England, you all were camping most of the time? Were you staying in hostels? What were you doing?
2: I would say after leaving Rwanda, it was probably 75% tent camping, um, which sounds kind of alarming when you're traveling through Africa, but it really isn't. Like the campgrounds felt safe. I didn't feel like I was going to get um, dragged out of my tent by a lion or trampled by buffalo at night. Um, (laughs) There's plenty of other humans around and you do feel a sense of distance from those threats um, in the campgrounds, the established places. I always
0: heard the rhinos were the were the worst.
2: Yeah, it's not really the carnivores that you're worried about. It's the uh, it's the herbivores. Uh, rhinos are pretty bad, but they're not common. I would be more worried about buffalo. Mm, okay. Yeah.
0: So, uh, so England, you spent time uh, obviously not camping. You were you were staying with family,
1: right? Yep.
2: What What part of England was that? That was the. Uh, sort of around Newcastle okay this would be the closest major yeah. settlement
0: do any sightseeing there or mostly hang with a family? little bit
2: um, the the family there um, absolutely like prototypical English folk and it was just absolutely charming and lovable and they were so hospitable and just it was just it really was a wonderful recharge after three months of um, living life in a completely different way to just kind of return to something that felt really normal, uh, even just for a week. But I didn't feel like I had been missing that, like just going out to random restaurants and sitting on the couch with family. I, I appreciated it, but I wasn't missing it at that point yet.
0: Okay. So what happened after England? Where was, where was the next journey?
2: The next spot was in Norway. Okay. Um, Norway uh found to be the most expensive of the countries that we visited um we rented a small um Toyota compact car that was probably 10 years old and I believe it was like $50 a day and this is three or four years ago yeah from a company called rent a wreck (laughs) Ah, yeah
3: yeah
2: and that was um It is what it is, because Norway is just a fantastically beautiful place. Um, When you really get out and exploring the fjords, um, it's just some of the most dramatic landscapes that I've seen anywhere else in the world. uh, A a guy who uh, was my boss
1: for several years at the my job, I guess like three jobs ago now. Um, he, his daughter uh, married someone from Norway and then ended up moving back there. And so every year he would go back and, and visit, usually for about a month, like around the holidays. And uh, one of the coolest things was he loved that they, they lived. Um, his, his daughter and son-in-law lived like right on the fjords. and it was such a beautiful view. And he would find um, like websites that would have webcams of the fjord and he would come back and like you know share the links to those those feeds with everyone on the team and so there was a long stretch of time where i would be you know spending my day working in central kentucky and there would be like a little windowed thing in the corner of my screen that's just like a live stream of the fjord and it's it's such a like beautiful peaceful thing so i I can only
2: imagine seeing that in person how, how great that would be yeah, driving around Norway, yeah, You're right. Driving around Norway was some of the most epic driving that I did on this on this trip. Um, yeah, it, it's one of those things. If you've ever seen the Grand Canyon, where you really can't describe or appreciate the scale of it unless you see it with your own eyes, and so much of the the landscape in Norway suits that.
0: I find that with both the Grand Canyon and the Hoover Dam. I've probably been to the Hoover Dam i don't know 25 times and every time i look at it i'm like how the hell did they do this when <laughs> they did it because i don't know how they do it today it's it's just an amazing piece of engineering uh out in the middle of nowhere yeah so uh after norway you went uh, where
2: after norway um the next stop was spain and portugal um again getting around combination by rental car and with a few um a few bus trips in between cities um kind of did portugal in a different way than most people that are going on a european vacation would do which was renting a really cheap car and driving it down dirt roads by the beach and finding places to camp um i loved it i had a great time in portugal um found it to be very welcoming um hit it in september which was just after the tourist season all of the people with their children out of school they're uh not out there anymore and really like the first of september the prices of everything were down um just fewer people at the beaches and it was still warm and beautiful and uh yeah september is a great time to visit portugal
0: i um I follow a bunch of people on social media, different things, van life and other things like that, nomadic travels. And uh, what I find a little interesting is that uh, Costa Rica seems to be like a destination where uh, U.S. citizens move to. But Portugal is is kind of like the European version of of. Central America's, you know, place that everybody wants to go and it's beautiful and it's it's cost effective and, and it's better than living wherever they were living.
2: Um, I would say, I would have said that Norway was the most expensive place that I visited and Portugal was honestly the least. Oh, wow. um, you know, it traveled in different ways in different countries, but um, yeah, I, I remember buying bottles of wine for essentially two dollars that were really good so um was buying them on a regular basis and uh things like food um were reasonable it was honestly a really affordable place to visit i i loved portugal when, yeah. when you said bottles of wine for two dollars my
1: my joke i was gonna make initially was okay so i need to start learning portuguese but um I, I am curious, as you traveled all these places, unless you're like a secret polyglot that we don't know about, uh, what was communication like as you
2: moved mm-hmm. around? And Very easy. Um, English is such a universal language, sure. um, and that was what I learned. Really the only place where I felt a little out of my element was Spain, because there's enough people out there in the world speaking Spanish that right. there was very little obligation on their behalf to speak English to you. Sure. Um, but everywhere else, um, English is—if it's not the first language, it's the second—and right. it's being taught in schools. Right. That, so. that
1: makes a lot of sense because the uh, uh, with with Spain in particular, because early early pandemic, when I was uh, not on the other side of the world and I was in my apartment here in Northern Kentucky, um, I was—I I went through some Duolingo stuff just at fill time, and I'm like what what language is going to be like most bang for my buck? And I'm like, easily Spanish, because, you know, other than English, it's got to be like just the, the spread of it is insane. So it makes a lot of sense that there. And did you have any, like, I don't know, the, the language I took in high school was Spanish because it was easiest. So, I mean, was there any like familiarity there? or Was it just like, you know what, I'll communicate with like emojis
2: on my phone or whatever.
1: <laughs> and, you know, they'll tell me where the toilet is. I, I,
2: I did use google translate on a number of occasions uh did have the same few years of high school spanish yeah. to try to stumble by on
1: um P- probably like unused just long enough for you to almost forget all of it yeah that's my experience yeah <laughs> I,
2: I i it came back relatively quickly when you're immersed in it sure it really helps to bring it back to you what versus just being in a classroom and then walking out of that classroom and everybody else is speaking English. Right, when right. you're just hearing it around you, it's almost subconscious that it that really helps your mind. The, the osmosis is going on at that yeah, point almost, your Yeah, your mind recognizes, like, we, we better understand what these people are saying. Or <laughs> <laughs> so when you left Spain
0: and Portugal, what was, was the next destination? Greece. Okay.
2: Oh, cool. uh, I really liked Greece, and the first stop was in Athens um, before going out to some of the Greek islands. Um, if you're not really familiar with Greece, obviously there is a mainland country, but Greece is very well known for its islands that exist throughout the Mediterranean. Um, I really liked Athens. Like uh, the, the place that we stayed, it was in a hostel, and it was above a like a town market, and there were some homeless people that kind of had set up around this market, and there was a social service i believe it was just funded by the government that came around with like vans that had washing machines in them and they were and then at one point like there was food being provided like they were looking after people and it was in a, in an area that didn't feel posh it was it felt sort of working class and i really like that like i don't really want to be on a tourist track i don't want to i want to see the authentic side of the city and I feel like that authentic side that I saw of Athens I just really liked it just felt like um people were looking after each other
0: not ah, interesting yeah i um uh, that's not been a i've i've I know about Greece I've watched. Some videos, read a little bit, but that's that's not ever been a destination, uh, at least in my mind. So, so hearing that you really liked it, that's that's uh, makes it more interesting for me.
2: Can't go wrong with the food there. Yeah, sure. Um, I did enjoy the food in Greece quite a bit. Um, the islands are absolutely beautiful, and there's islands for every time of year. Some of them have better climates for going in the heat of summer. Some of them are better for a little bit more towards the fall or the shoulder seasons as most people look at them and uh i think i was in greece in october and that's like way after the tourist season there so um, things were fairly affordable and you know the water was still just nice enough to swim in the days were in the upper 70s Um, it was a great time to visit
0: Cool, cool. So where, where did you, when you left Greece, what was next on your um, agenda?
2: Greece was really the last stop in Europe, but um, remember being in a cafe somewhere in Greece and talking with another couple, and they were speaking really highly of Turkey, and it was looking like Turkey was going to be a layover on the way to India. So, uh, you know, when you don't really have a timeline of two weeks before I have to get back to work. It's like, well, if I'm going to have a layover somewhere, I might as well just explore what that is. So let's spend four days in Istanbul or, um, it ended up working out that we took a ferry from the Greek islands. Um, with not, not a very long ferry, like 30 minutes to get to Turkey and essentially cross the border on a ferry and then rented a car in Turkey and drove around for two weeks.
0: No issues, uh, you've, you've rented a car a, bu- a bunch at this point in your journeys. No no issues renting a car, being somebody from another country?
2: No. Um, nobody even asked me for this international driver's license that I went to AAA and filled out. Um, <laughs> once they see that you're an American, they, they're generally just okay with um, giving you the keys to that vehicle.
0: Did you... Uh, buy any any trip insurance from the standpoint of health insurance. Did you do anything above yes. what you would
2: have? I did purchase um, insurance through a company called Safety Wing. They are not sponsoring this podcast. Um, if they are, I'd like to have my cut. But <laughs> healthcare but- in the rest of the world is actually like reasonable compared to what we're used to in America. So the idea of a company insuring you in every other country other than America. Isn't that wild? It was, hmm. I'd have to look at my spreadsheet that I kept for all my expenses to tell you exactly how much it was for two people for um, 18 months, but it was very reasonable. And the only clause in it was that it only covers you for up to three weeks in America, Ah. (laughs) (laughs) which is perfect. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Very clearly, our our health care system is out of whack. That's so. uh, yeah.
1: That's uh, a it's a big
2: condemnation of. Uh, <laughs> I think the, that was the one of my of my zero. big understandings that I gained being overseas is that um, the way we do healthcare in America is not ideal, in my opinion. Everybody's going to have their own opinion about that um, based on their personal experiences, but mine showed me that um, we tend to scowl at socialized medicine for their waiting lists and um, and just the fact that everybody's paying more taxes um, really everybody's not paying more taxes not in any significant sense and um, a lot of times people in these countries that have socialized healthcare, you can buy private health care that gives you all of the same privilege that you have in America as far as privately funded hospitals and elective procedures and whatnot yeah the only difference is that if you get laid off you're not severed from your health care
0: yeah yeah i I, i'm always in and not to drive us down a a a different road that that we've been on on a few of these podcasts but uh (laughs) but socialism appears to be a a bad word and in. In fact, it might actually be a, a really good word, and, and I would argue, oh, here, I'm going to go drive us down this road anyway, I, I would argue that we have financial socialism for uh, uh, rich people and big business Absolutely. here in the United States, and uh, that that seems to be hypocritical. But anyway, let's talk about India next. <laughs> yeah. There, there goes those two people that were thinking about a sponsorship for yes. us. <laughs>
1: well, I mean, we, we, we hit the explicit tag early on, so it's
2: okay if we're fucked in this way, too. Yeah, all right. There you go. <laughs> India. Um, my first impression of India was walking out into the uh, quote-unquote open air uh, from arriving at the airport and um, just being just taken aback by just how much smog existed in india like i was afraid to breathe the air in india and i was really glad that we had already arranged for a car to take us to a yoga retreat like out in the mountains so arrived in india um got straight in this car it was midnight and just got out of town um i think the thing that I really appreciated most about India is that I felt the furthest away from home there. Uh, really tickled that sense of adventure to where everything was just so foreign. Like you can't read the road signs. It's it's not just like in Spain where it's just the words don't make sense. It's right. <laughs> the, the, the characters mean nothing. To the characters you, you mean absolutely like the nothing. That are the alphabet. Yeah. It just feels so foreign. Like the music that the cab driver is playing. Like. You know, India is a country of a billion people. Like, it absolutely has every bit of its own culture that doesn't carry any American influence. I and mean, it does to an extent, but it's on the surface, you don't always see those. And I, I like that. Like, I liked feeling like I was really on an epic adventure somewhere on the other side of the world. All the things
0: I've seen about India, though, it, it also seems like you mentioned the smog. It it seems like they um, that they have a a great number of vehicles, although what their vehicles look like may be different than what our traditional roadways <laughs> and highways look like. But but it it's just amazing the number of small engines and things like yes.
2: that. Yes, and that's responsible for I think the majority of the pollution is yeah. that you just have all these small engines with no. Emissions related equipment and they're poorly maintained and running. Um, India, I was so glad I did not attempt to drive there. It would have been terrifying. <laughs> I, I remember as we got into the car leaving the airport, driving down the road, it's like eight lanes going in one direction out of the airport and it's midnight. Um, but nobody is using any of the lane markers. Like it is literally just a free for all in this giant open highway that has lane markers but we just don't use them like our driver just he's got like six other lanes to choose from but he still just like comes flying up behind somebody like in a three-wheeled motorcycle and just lays on the horn before swerving and going around him and there were like five open lanes for him to have done that it's just <laughs> um i, I get anxiety. something of a lifestyle i guess <laughs> <Yeah>. over there
0: <laughs> i get anxiety from watching the dash cam subreddit and, oh, and yeah. seeing see. seeing the traffic from india so somebody will have recorded and i'll be like oh my god oh my god oh my oh. god i cannot believe they didn't crash
2: no i i remember we're driving we're still in delhi which is a city of like 15 million and uh we're, we're on a we're on a somewhat regular road maybe three or four lanes and on the on the left side there's just like some barricades set up like you would see at a construction site if they were just putting up cement barricades if they were repaving another lane on the highway um, and then the driver just slows down and kind of like squeezes in the middle of these barricades and then all of a sudden we're on like an elevated highway where it's just, like eight lanes of highway on a bridge that's like 50 feet off the ground just driving over the city um and it was just like the strangest thing like was this just not open or it's just understood that you go between the barricades to get on this giant highway it, it was kind of surreal
0: yeah yeah so i i one of the the motorcycle adventure uh, people i watch uh, she went through that recently, and like everybody told her a different way to go through these set of barriers to get through customs to get across a border, and and none of the answers were right. It was, <laughs> it was just amazing. Or so, or is it that they were all right? <laughs> or and you you might be right that they were all right. So um, so so we're in India now, and uh, so it seems to be a good time, at least from my standpoint. To take a short break before we come back and talk about where you went to as you left india how's that sound certainly and we're back so um any anything that stood out to you alex in in india that um that besides the smog and and, and kind of the traffic patterns and stuff like that what what were the the big cultural things that that really
2: uh knocked you out or you thought were super cool Mm. um the presence of monkeys in the human cities and society um not specifically that they were like worshipped or somehow appreciated or anything they were just part of the cities and um i remember like there was a large suspension bridge um across a river a suspension bridge that's like six feet wide it's for people to walk across not for vehicles Um, and the monkeys were just sort of using the bridge just like the people Um, some of them were sort of monkeying from the cable some of them were just like walking along the surface of the bridge around people Um, there was at one point like a um, I don't want to call it a domestic dispute but it was uh, more of like gang warfare when it came to the monkeys and they were um, there was just a lot of um, yelling and violence (laughs) and uh, (laughs) some
1: monkey on monkey violence. And
2: like nobody was like walking around, like looking at it, like it was unusual. (gasps) It was just sort of accepted that this is just part of what goes on in this little settlement. Uh, And just walking down the street. uh, So I stayed at a yoga retreat in India and the, the, place for the retreat was maybe an hour's walk outside of the town. Um, and just in the process of walking into town, you just walk through, um, uh, walking down the a dirt road, you're walking by various groups of monkeys. And, uh, it was just kind of strange because, you know, we share like 98% of their DNA and, uh, just to see some of the human like behaviors of them, um, uh, and just how adapted they are to the fact that they coexist with us so closely in these areas—that was kind of interesting. Yeah, cool.
0: Yeah, I, I've I've seen stuff like that on on videos, but not. Uh, I would I would I'd be at least uncomfortable initially in that environment if if there was sort of that violence thing going on. <laughs>
2: it was amusing, honestly. I saw some pretty interesting things i remember seeing um a monkey eating a popsicle their <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> their uh, characters man it, it was fun they regularly made um call it a raid on the um the yoga retreat the the building that we were staying in where they'd come by every like three days or so and they they kept dogs on the premise just to um, the dogs weren't very efficient at chasing off the monkeys because the monkeys are just way more intelligent than the dogs. Uh, but they just come through and just you know have a uh, a rummage of the kitchen if nobody was in there. Oh and you'd, really? You'd hear them on the roof, like you know m- corrugated metal roofs. So right. you'd, you'd hear something com dude walking along the roof, and it's like oh yep, the monkeys are uh, are just making their pass through.
0: So just kind of food-centric run through through the the yoga retreat.
2: Yep, just to see if anybody's been sloppy. That's awesome. (laughs) I, I like the cadence, like, you know. They, it's like they've got a route, you know? Like oh, they, they just, probably have the a schedule.
1: And it's, you know, okay, every three days we're going to come back to this place. But I'm sure the
2: other two days they're uh, visiting some of the other that's, yoga retreats exactly in the what I'm area. Thinking, yeah, there's <laughs> just like a path they follow and it's just a loop they keep going on. So you know? are we
0: thinking this is like organized crime in the United States? Yeah. So it's it's a, a monkey mafia <laughs> yeah, of some right. All right.
2: <laughs> Honestly, that's closer to the truth than you probably intended. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, wow, wow. So... Uh, uh, where did you? Uh, where was the next stop after India?
2: So, I think at this point I didn't really have a clear picture of what was next. But uh, staying at this retreat in India and just making a few friends there, we decided that we would hire a driver to take us further up into the mountains. We were kind of in the in the foothills of the Himalayas at this point, and you know, we're here at this yoga retreat, and like, let's go see the Himalayas, let's go up into the mountains. So we hired a driver, you know, half day of driving on um, essentially dirt roads, which was a highway, like, it was literally like an arterial highway, but it's just a dirt road with all kinds of construction and potholes, and took us way up into the mountains and finally saw those snow-capped peaks in the background, and um, I'm just an adventurous outdoorsy guy, and I just looked at those mountains, and I was like, "Yep, I need to." The mountains are calling. So, at that point, booked a trip, um, book booked a flight to Nepal, mm-hmm. and set up uh, a plan to make a trek to Everest base camp.
0: Oh, cool! That's awesome. I'm a I'm an armchair mountaineer. I'm terrified <laughs> of heights, <hikes, laughs> but I've read every book on uh, Everest and. Denali and and all the places in between, and uh, a big fan of John and who's who's documented a lot there. And uh, I know, like, this season, I I just saw a a site that I follow on RSS that said that uh, based on um, what they think is happening with weather conditions and crowds, this might be the worst season on Denali, in terms of deaths in a while, mm. there's going to be a steady procession of
1: people trying to summit. So, uh, so at, at this point, when you're you're in Nepal, like how how long is this? Like how how long has it been that you've been traveling now at this point?
2: Yeah, so I believe I got to Nepal in the beginning of December, and I, I, that would make it eight months of traveling. Okay. And, and their winter is different than ours, right? It is not it's so. Not. Nepal is at a similar latitude as Florida. Okay. Because um, they but, climb, they climb Everest in May. Yes. So, yeah, you, start so in you have April. two seasons that yeah. you actually climb Everest, and one of them is in May, and I think the other, you may have a narrow window in the fall as well. But yes, May is the very most narrow. popular.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The the big one is in May. Yeah.
2: So Everest base camp is actually not any sort of settlement or anything like Everest Base Camp was literally the letters EBC 5,300 and some meters spray painted on a giant rock because if there isn't an actual Everest expedition occurring at that time Everest Base Camp is just literally just an imaginary spot on top of a glacier
0: yeah it looks like just like a big rocky ledge that people camp on
2: So it's really about going to Everest Base Camp is every bit about the journey as it is. It's Everything is the journey. Nothing is really the destination itself other than to say you were there. Sure. Now, did you hire any Sharpas or did you? Did not. So um, if you were to try to do a trek like this during a high season, which would be maybe October and November, you would want to hire a guide and the reason is not because the trail is hard to follow and you need somebody that knows the way the reason would be because you would be in competition for places to sleep when you arrived in the villages and having somebody that can arrange that would be crucial Um, but we went in December which is after their peak season completely and the, the winter is actually the dry season there um, so it's not to say that you won't have per- precipitation, which honestly, I was grateful for the six inches of snow that we did have into the journey. And we honestly just took a couple days off. I was struggling with altitude related illness at the time and just needed a couple days to acclimatize. And that also gave time for other people that actually knew the trail to stomp down some footprints for us to follow (laughs) Sure, (laughs) in that six inches of snow but that six inches of snow just made every bit of the landscape that much more beautiful and I was thankful for that
0: all right good deal so after what did you do after you left Nepal
2: after Nepal um, the next stop was Thailand and uh, not not far from Nepal specifically, but Thailand I think marked the official halfway around the world point. Um, at least the, as you would mark it by time zones. I didn't actually like look at the uh, points of uh, longitude, but um, it was a nice break because in Thailand didn't really have a plan um, after going on a 17-day trek to Everest base camp. Uh, that was the longest bit of hiking that I had ever done in my life where it was, it was really nice to get lost in that, that journey of it where that's just what you do. Like you hike and then you arrive in the village that you're going to stay at and then you eat and go to bed. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And in Thailand it was like, okay, um, it's always 80 degrees and the water is warm and I can just go sit on the beach. Um, Ended up learning to scuba dive on an island in Thailand, which was amazing. Uh, my reflection on Thailand is that I found so much of what would have been inspiration for the movie Avatar there. Just experiencing the underwater life, it was just alien and surreal. Um, if if you uh, snorkeling is one thing, but to really scuba dive and get Underwater, to where everything else is just moving around you in three dimensions, uh, it's really unique, and I think it's the closest thing that you'll feel on Earth to being in outer space.
0: It it always seemed to me, like at least on the coast, that the the beaches were beautiful and and the marine life were amazing and and things like that what about further inland i mean was did you get in there and and how were the communities and cities
2: didn't do a lot further inland um bangkok feels quite modern there's really nothing that pushed me out of my comfort zone in bangkok as far as food or language barriers Um, i mean you could certainly find some freaky street food if you went looking for it but i tended to avoid that like it's uh not worth the risk, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. No, I
0: understand completely.
2: Yeah. This, uh, this, for the record,
1: coming from my my good friend Mark, who had his first ever sushi experience just a couple days ago. So I, I, I got him to try some sushi. So we're we're branching wow. out. So probably a good ways from freaky side street Bangkok food, but uh, yeah, that's we're, not, we're not gonna, that's
2: not going to happen. anytime there. <laughs> soon. But. How did that sushi? Did it stay down?
1: It did. It was okay. it was good. It to the point where he ordered a second roll after the fact. So, yeah. Ooh. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, uh I guess it pays to uh, go to Jungle Gems and Drunk Shop and then uh, <laughs> Which
1: is 100% what we did. Yeah. And then go
0: go do sushi. Okay. Yeah. I, I was not, uh not, not
1: quite traveling the world but you know like yeah. within the microcosm of the greater Cincinnati metropolitan area it's kind of the closest <laughs> you can get to that I guess yeah but in, in Key West they have a, a
0: festival in October and uh one of the events is uh street food in the Bahamian Village and uh I walked through and asked questions uh I don't know two decades ago and I d- I decided I was never ordering food street food uh uh, at a festival like that. And so I'm going I'm to stick with that whether I'm in Thailand <laughs> or uh, in, in a U.S. state. So yeah. Fair enough. Yeah.
2: When you're overseas, just make sure it's cooked, cooked well. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so uh, what did you do after you left Thailand?
2: After Thailand, um, we went to the U.S. territory of Saipan, ah. which is like an hour's flight from Guam. In the middle of this uh, North Pacific Ocean, and uh, spent a week there visiting uh, my girlfriend's friend, and just kind of taking in their island lifestyle. They had um, they were it was married couple, two kids, and uh, they had, I believe, received some sort of stipend or incentive because she was a nurse, he was a teacher, to take residence on the island. Um, and fulfill those needed professions there Um, and it was just very interesting you know so absolutely far from everything else to just talk with somebody else about their perspective having been so far from their family especially starting a young family of their own and just really hear about how they've reflected on that and you know whether they have regrets or um, and there definitely is. There's, um, you know, family is so far away, but the reflection that I really appreciated was that when they did go back to the United States to visit family, their visits were so much more meaningful. It wasn't just that we just sit around at grandma's house and watch TV together, it was everybody was much more engaged in just really catching up and, uh, Hearing about what's going on in each other's lives—that I really appreciated that because it's something that we, you know, there's something to say for that just sort of everyday camaraderie, um, companionship that we get from people that are just, you know, geographically proximate to us. But um, sure, I mean, I mean, sometimes
0: people say, "Yeah, we'll we'll hook up and meet," and then they they don't show they cancel on your stuff so right yeah what? so so like know anybody you, like that if you came, <laughs> if you came from an island then people would would uh would certainly be it, it would be more special and important absolutely
1: well and, and i think even just like not necessarily even geographical proximity but like the time zone difference even like it's not like you can necessarily even just call somebody up because your day is the middle of their night that sort of thing that even kind of yeah communication
0: is is completely different right right. yeah for sure and and I would I mean to me that's very uh, brave and adventurous for a family with with small kids to be I was, that far away from a support system.
1: I was. I was going to ask. Like, you know, is that stipend for you know things like uh, teachers and nurses? Does that extend to like code monkeys who just sit in the basement <laughs> all day? Because I I might know somebody who's. who's interested. Do you? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'll reach out to my contacts.
1: Yeah. Let me. Let me know. Let me know. We'll, uh,
2: I got to say, we'll the island lifestyle there. was pretty nice, um, but you do become aware that it's a little. Confining. If you've ever heard the phenomenon of island fever, um, people in Hawaii often speak of it to where here we can just get in our car and drive for five hours and be somewhere completely different. Right. And you can drive in a radius and you can be in a hundreds of different places in you know a few hours or more. Uh, when you're on an island, you can drive from the top of it to the bottom of it in 30 minutes. That, that can get kind of confining yeah I've, I've even
1: heard especially i i imagine like coming from a, a place like the united states that's so insanely big because i i know i've i've had friends from overseas who have come to the u.s and they've been like oh yeah like you know i'd like to you know i'm, I'm in la for a week and i want to go see vegas and like maybe if i have time i'll like go over to florida and it's like no you don't you, you, and their thought is like i'll i'll rent a car and do this and you're like no you're, you're gonna spend like the entire time driving like you won't have time to do anything like people don't understand the distance and going from that like i can get in my car and i can literally drive for four days and like i haven't hit the other side of the country yet to i can drive for an hour and like i've lapped the island mm-hmm. is is a massive change to get used to
0: yeah i i uh living in a small town it's not an island but sometimes it feels like an <laughs> island and and there's only so many days before i uh, i want to venture to the mainland meaning <laughs> meaning a bigger city that has uh, has more than has uh, a Chipotle and yeah, a Walmart has more than three stoplights yeah yeah, yeah. It's,
1: this this is why it's not uncommon that Mark hits me up and says hey you want to like grab a beer up in your area that's probably about what like an hour away from where you live yeah, yeah it's because of I yeah, think that's, that phenomenon it, it, it is exactly
0: yeah. that phenomenon and, and and when I first moved to the small town uh, many many years ago there was one stoplight in the town uh, no fast food uh, no you know no opportunities for uh, much of anything except a mom and pop greasy spoon sort of uh, place that was uh, uh, and still is a chain smoking uh, you know you go in oh. and and you get to have your breakfast beside uh, a table of
1: chain-smoking modiggies and <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it that place off, like, the, the like 127? You, like, you, you're, like right past by. the pharmacy, and it's yeah. on the left there? Yeah, you, can, you drive okay, when you yeah, come. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's the kind of place where um, I've, I've never been in this place before, but every Don't. time I've driven past it, I've looked at it, and it's... In my imagination, it was exactly what you just described. Like, it looks that way from the exterior. So, yeah, we supported them during COVID because COVID hit
0: pretty hard. But, but at a certain point when things got better, we we quit doing that because I was like, my food kind of smells like smoke. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want that. So, so, uh, so what's next? What was next
1: from there?
2: Um, things got interesting at this point. Um, it's, I, I like believe, how he says that by the way, as if things haven't been interesting to this point, but Oh no, because it perspective is, uh, is all different. it is January of 2020. It is uh, the, eve of the coronavirus yeah, pandemic.
1: Yeah. Um, which I think is important to keep in mind that for people like Mark and myself, like that was hitting in like March, but like on the other side of the world, that was not the same timetable. <laughs> things were. Because we denied it uh, for, for right, so long, right?
0: Yes, right.
2: it was kind of a, um, it was an entity that was chasing me for a little while. So, before going to Saipan, I believe that was when I had the, um, the layover in Hong Kong. So I spent a week in Hong Kong with that layover between Thailand and Saipan, and that was in January of 2020. Um, this was like right when. People were starting to get aware of coronavirus. A lot of people in Hong Kong were wearing masks, but there was still a. The virus is in mainland China, and Hong Kong is technically part of China, but it's sort of its own administrative right. region. Um, or it, so it, it, less so now than then, but yeah, yeah it, it yeah. was it was separate from the coronavirus was in mainland china not in hong kong so being in hong kong was like okay Um, but needless to say i was in hong kong and that came back to find me later Um, after spending a week in saipan and then the next stop was the philippines planned to just do some more island uh hopping and maybe some scuba diving in the philippines on the way to New Zealand, so the stop was from Saipan was through Korea. Spent a couple days in Korea, um, in Seoul. Um, very had a very good experience there. Went to um, one of the sort of traditional Korean spas, which was very interesting. Um, you don't wear anything in the spas, and they have various like hot tubs with. Different minerals in them. You have um, like a salt bath thing where you can scrub down and then rinse it off. It was a very complete experience. Um, even with several fellows that worked there, um, enthusiastically motioning you over for a massage that was part of part of your fee to get in. Um, I declined. I was a little bit out of my comfort zone, and I'm um, and that's saying something for me. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so... I feel like with enough soju, you could have overcome that. I probably would (laughs) The The enthusiasm was really what did it for me. (laughs) A little over the top for you. It was a little intense. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, So anyways, after three days in Korea, got on the plane, arrived in the Philippines, and um, this is like early... Early mid February of 2020, now. Coronavirus is heating up and going through passport control. They're asking, Where have you been in the last two weeks? And I'm thinking, Should I include that I was in Hong Kong like 11 days ago? That's going to raise probably going to raise some eyebrows. So there was a part of me that was thinking, you know, they're literally just asking you to handwrite a form, and nobody's actually checking something. But
0: and, and two weeks for you could be ten days, not eleven.
2: <laughs> I just I came down. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be honest uh, and put that I was in Hong Kong because the Philippines, um, being led by a brutal dictator, and right. um, you know, I just really. Up to this point, had not ended up in any foreign jails and just kind of wanted to keep that streak alive. <laughs> so that's a good thing, right? They looked at the, the form and they almost let us in. And then she was like, Oh, wait, you were in Hong Kong. So we get pulled aside before we enter the country. You know, we're in the airport, but they ask some questions like, Yes, we were in Hong Kong. We were there for touring. We were there for seven days. And well, we can't let you enter since it's been less than two weeks. So we kind of negotiate to say, well, can we just remain here in quarantine for the three days so that we can enter the country after, you know, we've proven not to have coronavirus. So we spent three days in um, a quarantine room, which was essentially an airport terminal that they had turned into a quarantine with... Um, Felt very much like a pop-up hospital with uh, cots, and um, you'd have to pay somebody to go get food for you, and then they would buy food for themselves with your credit card. But um, at at that
0: point, (laughs) were there in this hospital type environment, were there very many people that were sick that that you could tell?
2: No, most of them were returning residents of the Philippines. Okay, so they'd show up. And then um, I think at one point they catered like chicken wings or something from one of the local restaurants and everybody ate. And then they came in and they just said, all right, well, the rest of you can go home. (laughs) (laughs) But no, after three days, um, you know, we've we've achieved our 14 days total since we had been in Hong Kong and thinking they're going to let us in now. Right. So then. You know, they come up to us like they've got an announcement to make. And uh, they've arranged for us to be returned to Korea where we came from because they can't let us enter. Oh, no well, sure. and, and at that
0: yeah. point, you know, things were starting to heat up everywhere but the old U.S. Yes. of A. Yep. people, Countries were taking responsible actions.
2: So mid-February, I'm returned to Korea and wondering, like, what the hell do I do now? Because I don't really know what is happening with coronavirus. Like, it's obvious that it's it's accelerating. Um, it's spreading. And I don't want to get trapped somewhere. Like, this is kind of scary. Should I go home? Should I try to continue my trip? Um, so, made the decision to, in mid-February, to go to New Zealand, which was the logical next stop after the philippines and uh, they didn't have any border restrictions at the time so booked a plane ticket and went to new zealand
0: and that's where we first talked you were uh in a looked like an apartment type place in and yeah
2: zealand? arrived in new zealand um, mid-february and rented a car and just Began touring New Zealand in the way that I had originally intended to, which was driving around, um, staying in a few hostels, but a lot of camping um, in a tent. And after three weeks, uh, I was staying in a hostel, and this is early March now, and New Zealand announced that you have 48 hours before you must shelter in place for a level 4 lockdown. Um, So it just it went from no restrictions to like the highest possible restrictions that's like there.
1: That's what I was thinking when you said about booking your ticket from Korea because they had no border restrictions. And then I knew they they'd taken some of the most drastic, but I, I feel like that also had paid off because to a degree, because I know when you and I talked and, and like Mark had said, it was, you know, the first time I'd had a conversation with you, you were at like a, a house you had, staying out with several other travelers and you know it was 5 p.m my time and like 9 a.m your time or something like that but uh, that life there was like quote-unquote normal right like you could go out to bars or restaurants or whatnot and things weren't really impacted whereas here it was you know mark mark and i are you know Going into breweries and buying pallets of beer or whatever with, you know, our masks <laughs> on, like almost wearing hazmat suits and, you know, sanitizer it up like in the car afterward. And, and recording whatnot.
0: and recording podcast in public parks. Yes. Uh,
1: in a, uh, Delta, uh,
0: uh, airline, uh, stream. So, so the, the, the planes would I fly over, about over, that. over, yeah. over <laughs> top as we were sitting there we were drinking, uh, actually mostly Braxton beer. At the time, yeah. and recording podcasts, I think, I think we had some
1: of their smoothies that we, we did. were drinking, and we, we would pause periodically as the planes flew through.
2: But it was it was a very different experience. Should they like be sponsoring one? Us? The Should other? I be expecting somebody to bring me a complimentary beverage? Um, we we have
0: uh, we're two and a half years into this podcast sort of thing, and so far nobody has uh, sponsored us or given us a free beer because of the podcast. And we've gotten free beer. But not because of the podcast yet,
1: yet, yet. yet. Anyway, all not right. that doesn't thunder, but just kind of <laughs> highlighting the like the difference of experience between the two places. Well, Absolutely, how, how they handled it with uh, that lockdown.
0: So, so, so you were in a, a walled area. So, so did you all rent a? When 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 I interviewed for you for a job,
2: where were you? So, at the point where I was. Oh, I was informed that there will be 48 hours before you must fully shelter in place, which meant um, you need to be in a place of permanent residence. You can only leave your house or your property for food, medicine, and you are allowed to exercise in your neighborhood. There was no, you know, driving across town to check on your grandmother. Um, there were police checkpoints, like on the highways out of the city, to confirm that nobody was actually trying to do things like that um, it was a very mandatory and forceful shelter in place but and, it was in and,
0: and new zealand for a long time was was one of the best places to be in terms of covid uh, infection rates
2: absolutely um, as soon as they had determined that there were Local transmissions of coronavirus, which means that they determined that the person in New Zealand that acquired it had got it from somebody else in New Zealand and not as a result of being overseas. They just made the decision to put in that full lockdown. And there was definitely, you could feel the grumbling throughout the society, but people generally just complied. Um, and the leader. B- because at the
0: it was the right thing to do?
2: The leader at the time of the country, Jacinda Ardern, um, very, um, very passionate lady. And what what struck me the most was that we didn't care. The decisions that were being made weren't weren't really even considering the economy or th- those aspects of it. It was really all about protecting human life, um, and. I know there's various opinions about how severe the coronavirus is, but at the time we didn't know. And I really applauded. There was no data. I really applauded that the decision was made just wholeheartedly about protecting human life. Um, whether that's the right decision for every country, you know, that's probably a different podcast episode, but I appreciated it. And I got an entirely different perspective on the kind of response that that would have made sense because New Zealand was the one place that actually stopped COVID in its tracks. Like after six weeks of lockdown, there was that they released it. So after like three weeks, there were no more locally transmitted cases. Everybody that had acquired it was in quarantine. And then after six weeks, it was. I think after like four or five weeks, it was like downgraded from level four to level three, which meant that we could prepare to resume economic activities. Um, And then after that, it went down to a level one. Like it's not here. The borders are closed. Um, Anybody that was a citizen with the right to live in New Zealand could return and go through a mandatory two week, you know, government run quarantine. But other than that, after that, um, one week of Level one lockdown, which basically meant like if I went to a gift shop, I had to do contact tracing. So either using an app or just signing in on a sign-in sheet. A um, couple weeks of that, and it was just level zero. Life is normal. So in other words. That was May of 2020. Just just at the point where things, human life. Things resumed normal. Yeah, doing the May right thing. May of 2020. In New Zealand. May
0: of 2020. Let's repeat that. May of 2020. New Zealand returned to normal. Because people didn't create conspiracy theories, question authority, and were good human beings because the, the measures in place were
1: designed
0: to protect people.
1: And it was 13 months after that that we here felt comfortable doing a trip down to the Keys.
2: is like our... And okay, really okay, every other First World Nation kind of fumbled this one too Um, I I don't know if it's just the size of those nations like everybody would like to say it was easier for New Zealand because they're an island but that's bullshit like every country has um, border controls that are enforced to either land or air and you know anybody that wanted to shut down their borders could have like yeah I get it you can say this or that about people you know crossing the river in Mexico but for the most part like borders are borders and they are controlled
0: yeah for sure and and we sh- I, I, I get what you're saying but but there were other places besides New Zealand that are first world countries that did that had similar re- positive results because they did the right thing swiftly and early and everybody didn't bellyache about oh my fucking rights and, and people didn't bellyache about wearing a mask and just common sense approach to things. We had the data on, on the numbers. We didn't have the data on the, the virus itself and, and you know, cancer has gone on for decades and decades, diabetes and all the different diseases we have, heart disease, and none of those have been fixed. I, I don't understand how some portions of our society thought, oh, well, we should just fix this immediately, snap our fingers, COVID will go away and we don't have to do all this stuff and you don't have to infringe on my, my uh, constitutional rights. And, and, and yet, pe- places like New Zealand and, and a handful of other places did the right thing early on and they didn't suffer... And then when they had reinfection later, they responded appropriately and and quash stuff pretty quickly. Cause yeah. Because New Zealand did have a, later have have a, um, they they probably had a bigger um, COVID issue later on versus earlier on because the the well, way they handled things.
2: They had um, they didn't open their borders to international citizens until there was an adequate amount of time for anybody that wanted to get vaccinated to do so. Um, So then of course you, you open those borders and even with, you know, requiring proof of negative tests, you're going to get cases that come across the border. Yeah. Um, It's going to happen. And vaccinated
0: people still got COVID, but not as bad and things like that. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I was vaccinated and I got COVID.
2: Yeah. I I had it um, here in the States. And it was very mild. I'm vaccinated. I've had the booster, and um, it was much milder than any flu I've ever had for yeah. me. So,
0: yeah, mine was was uh, less than a, a big flu. But um, I think my uh, <laughs> co-host here uh, he, he got a double whammy. But well, we'll talk about that in another podcast because it directly relates to Braxton.
1: It does, oh. in
2: fact, yeah, I back to back it.
0: <laughs> yeah, so what did you do after you left uh, uh, New Zealand?
2: Well, I think I should brag about my lockdown experience. Um, so upon receiving notice that I need to shelter in place and I need to be doing so within the next 48 hours, that was kind of an oh shit moment. Because at this point, I have a rental car, I'm driving around, sleeping in my tent and then occasionally having like a hostel stay if it's really raining and I don't want to deal with that so do I just stay in a hostel for however long this lockdown might last I think it was they said we're going to do it for two weeks and then we'll revisit it Um, so nobody knew that it was going to be six weeks it could have been you know four months or it could have just been that two weeks Um, found People on Facebook that were trying to fill a vacation home that um, whoever was going to vacation there had obviously canceled due to this lockdown. And uh, New Zealand has a, I'll say, a large community of van dwellers. And what these this community is, is you can get a visa to tour and work in New Zealand for 12 months. Allows you the, the right to work, And then most, you have to be between the age of 25 and 35, or something of that nature. Um, I was just outside of that. But so a lot of, there are a lot of people that work seasonally on farms and whatnot, and then spend the remainder of their time touring New Zealand, and they don't have permanent, you know, habitation. They live out of a camper van. Um, So a lot of these people were facing, you know, the same conundrum that I was, what do we do during this lockdown? And uh, it ended up that there were two couples and one single guy and we all ended up sharing a house right next to the beach in a city in New Zealand.
0: Sounds like a tough life.
2: I I think I had the best possible lockdown experience. Like I I even thought about this because what about the people that got trapped on, like, a, an island paradise? Like, I even think I had it better than them. Like, yeah. I could go walking on the beach, but I had I had other things to do. Like, there was, um, I could walk to, like, a modern grocery store. <laughs> and uh, we had, like, a house that had heat and air conditioning. And... Uh, It had an oven. So, like all of us that had been driving around camping, like an oven was something that was just a complete luxury. So, the other people that we're sharing this house with were all taking turns baking and like having goods and um, playing cards together. And because you can exercise locally as part of the lockdown, uh, I got into running. I was running on the beach like three or four times a week. I was in the best shape of my life. I felt great. And, uh, yeah, I, I just, I was blessed. It sounds like the rest of y'all were just tripping over your feet and just living in misery, losing your jobs and going insane in your homes.
0: I, I don't know that that was really my experience or John's. I, my experience, and I believe John's was that, uh, we regularly ordered from breweries and one of us picked us, picked it up. And we beer muled beer everywhere, and we stayed drunk during the pandemic. <laughs> I, I would
1: I would say it was probably the most impressive like uh, transportation of alcohol since like prohibition. Probably, <laughs> I mean we we there were literally people who would be like you know getting stuff from like south of Lexington and bringing it up to Cincinnati and vice versa. We'd be like orchestrating beer swaps so that like uh, we will we'll both pull over at like this gas station off the interstate <laughs> trade stuff or whatnot but uh, it I is mean, an interesting experience if nothing else to go into a brewery and like there, there's literally like a pallet of beer that they're trying to help you load into your car because it's for like eight people <laughs> have ordered
0: stuff. yeah, yeah and, and, and john would be like he would go in and he'd be like no are you getting marks too yeah, yeah, they oh. like
1: to the point where they knew the other people that I would buy beer for. Well, um, and, and to Braxton's credit, uh, like when things started to loosen up a little bit, and you could like go back into the tap room, they mailed me like ten, fifteen dollar gift cards. Because I just. Yeah, because John was really so much, the local mule. I, I was, yeah. I mean, every every single week after the their Thursday special beer release, I would show up and pick up anywhere from $30 to $150 worth of beer, depending on who had done the order. We should so, talk
0: about that in more detail on the next podcast. Probably should, yeah. Because we're, 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 we're tangentating. The but, well, but there were a lot of cool things related they, to there
2: that. Were. Yeah, there, there were. Yeah. Pandemic so, moonshiners. Yeah. Basically, so, yeah so uh awesome. so
0: let's come home
2: so so you left New Zealand and you came home oh the, the best part of the whole trip was New Zealand though so after after being freed of the lockdown in May I then had um, uh, I, I rented a camper van and had three months of just driving around in this camper van um, and seeing some of the most incredible places. Frankly, in in the world, like New Zealand has some of the most spectacular landscapes, um, really, of anywhere that I visited. It's maybe doesn't have the most gigantic mountains as Nepal or doesn't have like the massive deserts of Africa, but New Zealand hits everything pretty damn good in as small of a package as it is to where you can be skiing on you know the mountains and then two hours later you can be surfing on the beach in a wetsuit but sure um sure. I, I know i know i was super jealous before you and i had ever even
1: spoken i think i got looped in on like a an email thread with a few people at work and you had, you had shared photos that were just like your day-to-day like oh yeah no i you know, in the morning I like grab some toast and a cup of tea and like I come out here and sit on this beach and have my breakfast and I'm like, Man, holy shit, like I'm I'm out here, like the the most exciting thing I do is I like, go have a cup of coffee on my deck. You know, <laughs> outside of my apartment. <laughs> which I bought furniture for, uh, under the pretense of I gotta do this quick before we like have to go back to the office. Like I wanna be able to have breakfast and work out on the deck for a little bit um so i was i was very envious of just just your like day-to-day while you were there with the photos that you had shared it was incredible
2: it was interesting to at this point you know i've been overseas for a year give or take right and um i'm fully living a different lifestyle than everybody else that I know where they're working that 9 to 5 they have that job that structure that permanent place of living Um, so I've kind of I've kind of gotten detached from that and I did find an interesting reflection that I had was that after I don't know maybe eight to ten months of traveling I started to find an urge to occupy some of my time with work like habits um And I think that's everybody has their own nature. Um, some of us are workaholics and have a really hard time separating from that. I don't. But I still found that I had the desire to uh, engage in activities that were work-like or were things that provided for my existence in society. And... Uh, that was interesting. Like you always tend to think that as a working stiff, like if I won the lottery, I would never work again. Um, but there's a there was at least a certain desire in me to be doing things that were constructive to my own existence um, that I found creeping back in. So some of my time in New Zealand, I spent um, studying and practicing computer programming.
0: I felt like when we talked uh, when you were in New Zealand and we were interviewing you for a position I felt like um, it felt to me like it was time for you to get back to doing something productive not that you were out of money not that you were tired of traveling the world but it felt like it felt like you needed you had a need to do something that scratched a particular mm. itch professionally
2: a need is a strong word but
1: um. <laughs> maybe maybe an <laughs> inclination. <laughs> be a yeah, description of it, there yeah. was
2: a, a a reality that I can't not have a job for the rest of my life uh, that I had to really? acknowledge. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> there would have been some sacrifices. I
0: get that. Yeah. Yeah. Being, being semi-retired, I use the word semi in case I actually want to come back to work. But uh, yeah, I get that. <laughs> I get that for sure. So um, so did you come straight home from New Zealand? Did you go someplace else?
2: No, straight home from New Zealand. Um, to, to Columbus? The original plan was to spend six weeks in New Zealand and then go to Australia. And then had kind of added on spending six to eight weeks in South America um, before COVID kind of um, imposed its will on my itinerary. So after uh, after really touring New Zealand for three months and just seeing everything, almost everything that I could have wanted to see in New Zealand, at a relaxed pace, which was just absolutely incredible. I mean, I went on some of the world's most incredible hikes, and I was the only one on that trail. Um, and the borders are closed. There's no other tourists. Like normally, some of these places would just be. You know tour buses upon tour buses of people, um, and I just pulled up to an empty parking lot and I had it all to myself. Some of the most incredible hikes in the world. Um, after three months of that, um, coronavirus is obviously we're, we're talking about, I don't know, it's getting to getting to fall here, um, in the northern hemisphere, and coronavirus is still very much an issue like it's not been a part of my life for a while i haven't even thought about it like i just go out i want to go to a restaurant i just go sit down in a restaurant like with other people nobody's wearing masks i went to some concerts
0: right uh, and it was every day for for us for way longer than new zealand for sure
2: yeah so at that point i was starting to think that maybe i could live in new zealand um, I loved it. I like the, the landscape. It's just an incredibly scenic company, or country. And the path to getting the right to work was a little difficult for me. Just being um, somewhat older, like 36, I was above the threshold to get a um, a visa that probably would have been easily available to me. And I also don't have a four-year degree. I have certifications in networking that have, been my gateway to my career in the United States but they're essentially meaningless because they're um, issued by a private institution not a like an actual educational institution it's right the company that makes the products for which I'm specialized right.
1: in it's not accredited
2: it's not accredited so I really had no realistic path to getting a right to work that was going to work out too well for me unless somebody sponsored me which nobody really wanted to do that so uh kind of stayed put for a couple months um in a little uh not an apartment but a a mother-in-law suite that somebody was renting out and before finally deciding that i'll just reach out to some contacts i have in the usa and see if anybody wants to hire me and then i came home good deal october of 2020
0: so um, as we're closing out this episode, which might end up being
1: two episodes. Um, Whoops. You, do, you, don't, you don't want another like, uh, two-hour <laughs> episode like the last we, one? We, into. We, we might. The last one was two
0: hours, and, and this segment is already at 51 minutes. So, so we'll see. But um, do you find yourself wanting to do the same thing again now or in a couple of years or in five years? Or did that handle your wanderlust, and you have a different wanderlust.
2: Absolutely. Want to do it again. And I think everybody should consider doing this at some point in their life. I do have the reflection that maybe 18 months was too long. I did have some challenges um, acclimating back to professional and normal life. Um, I think six to nine months is probably more in the range of A future sabbatical for me um but just disconnecting from your the speed of your lifestyle that just 40 hours a week paying rent and um doing all of your you know your first world adulting uh, it was just so nice to just do something different and it just gives you so much more room to really reflect on what's important and frankly, grow as a person. um, I'll definitely do it again.
0: So when you do it again, will you head south to South America or will you revisit some place you've been or will you go someplace in in Europe or Africa or someplace that, uh, that you didn't get to that you wanted to get to?
2: Yeah. So I think I would do Australia. And then maybe include some time in Indonesia. Um, But I'm glad I didn't make it to Australia because I was only going to spend three weeks there. And after spending eight months in New Zealand, I experienced it in a whole different way versus a packed tourist itinerary to where you can like explore and just integrate yourself into the way of life in this other country. Um, That in itself was a valuable experience, and I'd like to do the same in Australia to just have an extended period of time to maybe just get some kind of vehicle. Maybe it's a camper van and uh, tour around Australia. I'd like to do South America as well. It would definitely be its own trip um, just to immerse in um, a continent that speaks a different language. I think that would be an awesome experience. And then something for North America. I think there's so much to see in America that would really make that a worthwhile expenditure of a a long-term sabbatical.
0: I know you and I have talked about some road trips here, so uh, maybe we can knock those out in the coming years and uh, and 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 do that. So, anything else, John?
1: Uh, the the only question, because I I I have to ask the heavy hitting questions. Like I I probably should have been the one to do a a recent CNN town hall, because I'll, I'll take people to task. Out of all the places that you were at, where was the best food, in your opinion? Ooh. If you had to narrow it down to one, I'm going to put you on the spot.
2: India. India. That's, that's not love, surprising. I love I, Indian food. I always have... Um, staying at the yoga retreat, I was fed all you can eat three times a day. Of It wasn't like the restaurant Indian food, which... Say not that we're getting it that wrong in America, sure. but it was like made fresh. Like the yogurt was actually like from the cow that they had on the grounds. Um, I was I had not been happier with what I was putting in my stomach than than <laughs> India. That's, that's a awesome.
0: Deal. That that's that's interesting, but but really not surprising. I know a lot of people just rave about uh, Indian food.
2: Loved it surprised Nobody asked if I got into any trouble or anything like that. So, well, so we I'll, we, we want to put you on blast on like a recording like that. You no. know, we we have limits here. But, but I do actually
0: end most podcasts <laughs> with what question should have asked that I didn't ask. So, so did you get uh, in any trouble?
2: Not really. I think the worst thing that happened had to bait you into it. The worst thing that happened was getting turned around at the Philippines. Um, maybe having to bribe a few cops in Africa out of speeding tickets, um, but no, which I didn't, seems to
0: be part of their culture that you're supposed. Oh, it, to it is.
2: There. It is. I didn't wake up in any jail cells. I didn't get seduced by ladyboys in Thailand. Like, uh, you know, I'm I'm in my mid thirties. Like <laughs> stories of a younger generation, I suppose.
3: All right,
0: good deal. Well, we appreciate you uh, joining us this afternoon for the Same Shade of Difference or McSee Wonders, whichever it ends up <laughs> being, podcast. Um, I know you don't do social media, but is there any place anybody can follow you anywhere?
1: Or or if not you, is there any place, like uh, websites for any causes, charities, anything you want to have people go look at? And if the answer is no, that's fine too, I,
2: my name's Alex. If you see me at a bar, love to chat. Um, can't really uh, connect any other way, I'm afraid.
0: Uh, and and before I get to, I'm, I'm envious of that yeah. <laughs> to a degree. <laughs> before yeah. I get to John, so so one of the things I meant to ask and didn't was, I know you took pictures. So so, what did you do from a picture-taking standpoint? Did you use your phone? Did you use a camera? And have you done anything with those pictures other than they're they're just for your self reflection?
2: Yeah, I thought about it. Um, I've got a a Facebook account that I I like put an album up on every month or so that I currently really don't use for anything. Um, but other than that, I, I traveled with a digital SLR, a um, a Nikon crop sensor camera. So it was about with the lens and the batteries and everything it was maybe four or five pounds of camera equipment I, I had a gopro that i was also using but it fell off of a kayak into a lake um a glacial lake in norway so it's gone um and then obviously using a, a phone i had a samsung galaxy s8 that took pretty good pictures um so i've got albums that i've kept for myself you know i've got a few things that i've put up on my wall at home and uh yeah really just kind of for me maybe some point i'd share it if i found an appropriate venue but um i guess the only thing that motivates me to really share it is to try to inspire other people to appreciate the beauty of the world and also to to just live like to get out of that rat race and live like i did
0: and, and you've certainly inspired inspired me in terms of things I should do that I'm not doing. I, I know that, that being an armchair mountaineer, I've set through a number of those picture presentations at, at bookstores and REI stores and stuff like that, and uh, I've always found them fascinating. So I guess I would just say if there's ever an opportunity for you to share your pictures someplace with a small group of people, I've always found that compelling. It's always been small groups of people, and I've never seen anybody that didn't walk away with with the wows. So, John, where can people find you?
1: Uh, yeah, so uh, if you want to find me on the, the interwebs, you can go to my website, looped network. Uh, that has. Uh, it changes day by day. I actually redid the whole website this morning, so it's different than what it was yesterday. Uh, but at the very least, it'll always have links to all my other junk online. So looped.network. Is, uh, John, John my, mostly my does, it,
0: does his uh, website so that he can throw shade at myself and another one of our friends on mm. on a regular basis via text message.
1: You know, it's it's just it's it's really not that hard to put a website on the internet. I'm just I'm just saying, but you know not that this is a segue or anything, but uh, mark where can people find you on well, the internet? Well, people can find me at
0: uh, brew geek on all the socials or
1: craftbrewgeek.com, which which is not a website. It just it's it's a c-name to your Instagram account, it, I it, think. <laughs> it
0: is a c-name to my Instagram account, but but if you type it in, it'll it'll take you someplace. it'll get your need to and, and then the same shade of difference which is the current name for this podcast and uh it actually has its own website it only does. because the uh podcast registrar gives us a website
1: and a pretty good one i would say as I, far a, as the options within like your podcast hosting goes it's
0: pretty yeah good. it's yeah. a pretty good website so uh alex once again thanks this was uh this was super cool and maybe we could uh talk about uh Uh, When you have some planning done for your next one, get back together and say, uh, Hey, Alex is going to take a sabbatical and, and head this place or that place. We'd love to hear what you're thinking.
2: Yeah, I'd love to have you join me wherever I go. All right.
0: Sounds good.
2: Thanks, man. Thank you.